Welcome to our second episode of Broken Pieces, a Brookside Community Church production, where we want to discuss how our local community of believers has sought kingdom diversity in a reconciling way and through the power of Christ. My name is Andrew Neal, and I am the COO of Brookside Community Church's nonprofit organization called Brookside Community Development Corporation. I'm joined today by Natalia Blondet. Natalia serves as the director of Brookside Community Play, which is our youth development initiative. Not only that, but Natalia is also a discipler of many women and is leading our engagement of Spanish speakers. Natalia, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Andrew. So good to be here. Hi, everyone. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, Today, we want to hit on a different piece of diversity that our church is pursuing that is near and dear to, I think, both of us, which is the engagement of brown people like us, uh, specifically those who are Latino or Latina. Now, I think it's important to note that we both have similar ethnicities, uh, but our experiences our experiences that have led us to Brookside Mm -hmm. have been uh, vastly different. So I have a clear Mexican heritage and am part of a long, proud line of Garcias out in western Nebraska. Uh, But I was adopted when I was just a few days old and I was raised by my parents who are uh, very white. And I was raised, in fact, in an upper middle class Mm -hmm. uh, family. Uh, and went to a very white suburban Southern Baptist church in Omaha. And it took me a while to learn and really embrace my heritage uh, while also navigating this kind of in-between world uh, of an adoptee who was a different race than his parents. Uh, But I know that your experience was vastly different than mine. So why don't you share a little bit about your upbringing? Okay, so uh, my parents are both from Mexico and I am first generation born in the States. I'm the oldest out of seven. Um, We were raised in Gary, Indiana, but our summers were in Mexico. So during the school year, we would be in the States, and as soon as school was let out, we would go back to Mexico, starting in Nuevo Laredo, where my dad's side of family um, lived, and then deeper into Mexico, just before Mexico City, uh, to Rio Verde, San Luis Potosí. So my summers were in Mexico, and I was immersed, and that was just part of what we did. Um, so I got to have two worlds, you know, the American world in a very impoverished area, Gary, um, and then also the world of Mexico where it was a lot of freedom, a lot of um, being able to be on my own, be exploring. Um, So it was two different worlds. And then as I got older, um, I had an opportunity to go to college um, and the ideal college that I wanted to go to was actually in Mexico City where I did get accepted, had a full ride scholarship, but my parents said no to going to it. So I ended up going to a college in Northwest Indiana where I met my husband who is Puerto Rican. And then uh, we moved to Maryville. Um, and then from there, a journey to Indianapolis. So it just had a whole different um, journey of different cultures, different um places yeah so it's been interesting yeah so so why did your parents say no to you going to, to university in Mexico? yeah well um in the latino culture when you're the oldest you have a lot of responsibilities and i am the oldest out of seven so although 
um, it was a great opportunity. Uh, my parents did not, my dad spoke some English, but he had to work doubles and triples just to keep us from being in the streets. Um, my mom knew some English, but she basically learned it with me at a much slower pace. And so they said if I were to leave, then um, they would become undone because I was the glue of the family. And so that wasn't an option for me at that point because of the responsibilities I carried as a Latina being the oldest in the family. Mm -hmm. And you had, you said seven? There were seven kids. There's seven in the kids. Family. That's in a the big family. family. Yeah, we always had a baseball team or a basketball game going on because <laughs> we didn't need anyone else. But it was fun. Um, and, you know, it's, it's different um, in that our block also had a lot of Latinos in it. So whenever you're an immigrant, you want to go where it feels a little bit more like family. So that's why our block had. Um, Latinos wanted to move in that block because then you had someone who could relate to someone who would um, be your family at that point um, to be on that journey with you. So it was different, but um, one of the things that my family always instilled was that you're in the United States of America, the land of opportunity where education is free, and you um, take advantage of the opportunities given to you by working hard. So, um, yeah, for us, even though my mom only had a third grade education and then had to work, and my dad had a high school education, but it was more of he was pulled out of to work and um, to help with the family, but, and the teachers kind of just passed him along because they knew the situation. Um, for them and so when we had the opportunity to go to school because there's public school um, we were highly encouraged to stay in school but they, my mom wanted and dad wanted to keep me me close um, to help with the family so my siblings they had other opportunities and so they were able to go elsewhere if they wanted to it was just different for me being the oldest mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. so where uh, are there differences in your upbringing in um, in the, the the Mexican culture that you're rooted in mm -hmm. versus your husband's upbringing mm -hmm. even in the Puerto Rican culture? Mm -hmm. well, what's that been like kind of navigating the difference in, in upbringing and family? Well, it's very interesting because um, most um, most Americans who are not familiar with Puerto Rico will clump us together and that's in a way offensive you know, because a Puerto Rican is not a Mexican and a Mexican is not a Puerto Rican. And first of all, one is an island, the other one is a country, but there's also different dialects. And so, um, or different words that we use. So I think we had a clash in the beginning, like we're gonna raise our kids speaking Spanish, but you gotta use this word. No, you're gonna use this word, you know? And so it brought a bit of confusion to our children right. <laughs> and also to my mom who would watch the kids. Um, because she did not know the Puerto Rican word for what they were using and so at the end it was just difficult to keep maintaining that but um, my husband had a lot of responsibilities too he's the oldest as well out of five and um, that part is the same you know family is the same um, it's just that pride of where you come from that is vastly different that I think most people would just clump us together instead of trying to figure out what it what does each one um, 
value differently so yeah absolutely well and I think that's the the pride over your family the pride mm -hmm. over your heritage yeah uh, that is is so evident to me in the Latino and Latina culture that uh, it, it, it's something that I'm still wrestling with mm -hmm. even in my own identity um, and you know I, I've learned to embrace my family history and my heritage mm -hmm. um, which you know has has been a struggle for me due to uh, you know the shame and the discrimination that's come along mm -hmm. uh, especially growing up in um, Omaha being around uh, a, a predominantly white community and um, hearing things uh, about stereotypes about Mexicans and being called different things or asked where my green card is mm -hmm. um, there, there was a lot of shame that I felt about who I was and you know it's it's only been recently I feel like that I've really started to take this journey of, of finding pride in who I am and and in that journey then learning about the faith uh, that is so prevalent yeah. in uh, brown Christ followers and um, you know I, I, I grew up in a Christian household um, and I felt called into ministry very early on in my life uh, but in all of my studies it's been really interesting I was thinking about this in all of my studies uh, I, I had never really heard about Latino or Latina theologians mm -hmm. and um, I, I always just wondered, you know, for, for a people that, that um, is so rich in faith, why is it that, you know, there are no theologians that are, are, are talked about predominantly in seminaries? Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you think about um, even like systemic theology, um, you know, th those conversations haven't even entered into the picture. Yeah. Um, I have talked to a few friends and even in their seminary classes, uh, th there's been, you know, no reference to Latino the theologians. And so, I mean, I think we know that brown people uh, have made significant contributions mm -hmm. to conversations on faith, just like every culture mm -hmm. has made significant right. contributions. Um, and it was just recently that I started to have my eyes opened as I've read this book. Uh, it's called Brown Church mm -hmm. by Dr. Robert Chow Romero. And um, it really opened my eyes to, um, you know, the, the influential work that Latinos and Latinas have done uh, in our faith culture. And um, I, I could talk about the book all day <laughs> and I won't. Um, but I really want to hit on one thing that, that, that seems to stand out in this book. And that's this idea that brown people uh, bring some very unique mm. and important aspects to this diverse family of believers that is the kingdom of God. Um, you know, the, the, the Spanish speakers, Latinos, brown people, that we are, are we're different and that our faith is uh, the same, but our culture leads us to put our faith into action in ways that might seem different uh, than even the white traditional, maybe even American, uh, you know, churches that, that uh, I, I grew up in. Mm -hmm. And so, um, could you could you speak a little bit from your experience? What unique things do Latinos and Latinas bring to an intentionally diverse church yeah. like Brookside? Yeah, um, you know, right now I'm thinking about uh, when we first moved from Northwest Indiana to this area. 
um, we were befriending a couple and in that that couple had a household where it was her two children but also one of the sister was living with them so the aunt and so when I made the invitation hey come bring your family to our home for dinner I was expecting all five of them like the the husband wife the aunt and the two children but instead it was just the husband wife and children and so I said where is your sister and she was like well you invited my family I said but she's your family isn't she you know and so I felt so bad that I even sent a text to the sister saying, oh my gosh, I meant for you to come. I want you to know. We'll have you later. But I think that's one of the things that as Latinos we bring is that the definition of family for us looks so differently. Um, it's anyone living in your home, whether or not their blood even. Um, it's about, you know, just knowing that my parents are still part of my family just as much as my children's future spouses and and children are are all family um, so I've learned to ask clarifying questions like oh you want us over who like me and my husband or me and my husband and children or you know because it just looks differently so I think that's one thing that we understand um, with the Latino community is when we say family it's very embracing it's very warm it's like um, just because someone's season in our life may not be present at the moment we still see them as family so our definition of family is different it's and it's also visually different like you can have someone who is blonde hair blue-eyed and they're they're Latino heritage um, you know you could have someone who is um, looks African and they they probably are Mexican too you know because we've had all of that diversity within the Latino community and so our family itself like the my children could have light eyes you know um, light skin and still be very much Mexican um, but then we my husband's Puerto Rican he has more of the African gene in him so we could have easily had a dark skin you know very kinky hair because we both have uh, very curly hair um, kinky hair child with dark dark eyes but the diversity in family the in the meaning of family all of that looks very different in the latino community and we embrace that into our faith as well so we extend that to people and um the other part is we just if you want to be a part of our family then you're a part of our family right that's just the way it is if you come to one party great second party you're now either an uncle or an aunt or you're a grand father or something like that it's just what we do yeah. you know so yeah, yeah absolutely and i think like i've even seen in in your time at brookside how you have embraced that that notion of family and even in a in a very diverse church like mm -hmm. brookside i think it was very easy to see early on that that you and your family viewed everyone as just uh, a part of an extended family yes, now, yeah, yeah. Um, which I, you know, it's it's incredible because um, I think you're right. Like I think, um, you know, for me growing up, family was my parents, right? And and maybe if I took a step out of my house, it was my grandmother or my aunt and uncle. Um, family was not in my traditional mindset. Um, you know the the third or fourth cousin i guess they were kind yeah. of extended family but but it wasn't the same yeah. it wasn't the same and 
it was interesting. I'm, I'm very fortunate that I have been able to get to know my birth family mm -hmm. in Western Nebraska and at an early age um, had an opportunity to spend a lot of time with them, um, learn from them. And, you know, every summer we would go um, and, and make a trek out there and I'd be able to go on vacation with them or spend a couple weeks with them. And it was so interesting. Um, because when I would go out there, here I was, this non-Spanish thinking uh, boy who was raised by gringos uh, in, in, Nebraska, in eastern Nebraska in the big city. And uh, here were all these people who I had come to find out were all cousins or uncles yeah. or aunts who had never known me, who, who never um, had the opportunity to spend significant amounts of time with me. Mm -hmm. But whenever I would come out... It, it would be like, um, yeah, like 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 uh, a long lost brother had <laughs> yeah. returned home, yeah. and there would be parties, and there would be dinners, and it was just the most welcoming environment. We, I saw the same thing when when my wife, who is uh, a Cajun, um, you know, that's kind of her her background. She's a Cajun, um, but she the first time we visited Western Nebraska and saw yeah. that family, it was like. She had already been a part of that mm -hmm. family, um, and so this this concept of of familia, I think, is mm -hmm. what what mm -hmm. uh, some people relate it to. Yeah. It's 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 such a big part of the culture, and because it's such a big part of culture, it also is uh, a big part of our faith naturally as well. Yeah. Um, but I think even what I've learned about that is that, and you kind of alluded to, is that Latinos. They extend the de definition of family, mm -hmm. um, and especially those who are Christ followers, yes. they look at family as, as the way that Christ has called us to look mm -hmm. at family. And it's why they can, they can you know, widen the definition, mm -hmm. and it's, it's, it's why they can look at um, others. They can look at the oppressed. They can look at the refugee, the undocumented, uh, the vulnerable mm -hmm. as part of their family. family. Yep. And so... Um, you know, what, what have been some of your experiences when it comes to uh, Latinos specifically and, and how their faith draws them into the action of loving their neighbors? Mm -hmm. So I think it's just a part of the culture. You know, we, we know that our faith lies in Jesus Christ, but we also see that as in he's called us to, to action, as you've said before, um, because you can't but help you know it's it's the right thing to do um, because if you, a lot of our history has a lot of challenges and a lot of um, uh, things that have come against us so when we see someone who is struggling and having something hard in front of them it's just an extension of giving back of being what we're called to do so it's just apart I remember growing up and um, it was so many times that we would stop and help someone or we would um, you know just give someone a ride or even invite them into our home and it wasn't a question of whether it was safe or not it was just the right thing to do so mm -hmm. God's gonna protect us you know now there was some wisdom in all of that um, but at the same time it, it was always that part of helping one another you know if someone doesn't know how to speak um, English and they need a translator well then the um, oldest one on the block as far, far as children would then go with that 
person to translate. It was just like, I'm going to lend you my daughter to go translate for you because it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. So there was always that growing up. And um, even in the Latino church, it was always awareness of what's happening in the community and how we can come together to to speak up, to have a voice. Um, because I think sometimes we understand that our voice isn't always heard, especially individually, but united, there's a greater chance that our voice will be heard over the concerns that we have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as, as you have successfully kind of navigated this world of, um, of, of being immersed in the Latino culture, but then also living and and working in a predominantly white culture you know up mm -hmm. until probably brookside and its unique culture mm -hmm. um have you seen a a a rub for you or, or some difficulty for you in kind of you know living in the in-between mm -hmm. world yes <laughs> <laughs> and i for me i think it, it, i wouldn't say navigate it successfully because it's so choppy it's so in your face that sometimes um, it, it catches you off guard because just when you think someone understands you then all of a sudden it's like oh no you know it's different because you hear a lot about you know the causes out there but then it's painted in a either a black and white issue not a um, united front that this is just an injustice all across the board and so the Latino voice gets lost in black and white issues because then where's the brown you know it's like no there's we're not talking about you right now you know or um, this does not affect you but in reality it's an injustice and it does affect many um, with that so you know I I came to know the Lord and my identity in him at the age of 30. But prior to that, my identity was in my heritage. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that was even living in a minority, predominantly minority um, neighborhood where that minority was the majority. And then I was the minority within minority. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just entangled all the way around. But it, we still dealt with issues even within that. I mean, we're all minorities, but we're still putting each other down. You know, we're still not um, willing to unite always because it's just an injustice that's happening. Um, and so that's been interesting. Then when I lived in a um, the majority, within the majority, the Caucasian um, neighborhood, then hearing all the comments sometimes when they don't realize you are Hispanic, um, you know, that, well, you know, I'm tired of people taking my job, I'm tired of this and that. It's like you hear what they're struggling with, and at the same time, you're having to deal with them not knowing you are Latina sometimes, or even the impact of their words and still trying to love them. So it's been, it's just been quite a journey for me, but in all of it, I always see people that are kind, that are loving, that are wanting to know more. And that's what really draw, drew my husband and I here to Brookside was because of the intentional diversity and the real conversations that are willing to be had. Um, and not feeling bad about it, you know, not feeling bad that I see things differently or that I have a story that no one has heard um, and I want to share it 
and not feeling like my voice has to be quiet, you know, or my perspective is not as valuable as others. So it's been um, just an interesting journey along the way. But what always holds us is our identity in Christ, knowing that the Lord says there will be many tongues, not just one, many nations, not one nation, but many that bow down before him. So if we're bowing down before him, that means that we are still many nations and many tongues and he values each and every one of them. So it's been, it's been interesting. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I mean, I, th I know it's been um, a, a journey for mm -hmm. Brookside to get to this point as well. Um, it's, it's been something that, um, you know, I, I have just gotten a little bit of a taste of in the last five years, um, you know, for some perspective, Danny and I, uh, my wife and I were a part of a multicultural church out in Denver and, and, and very diverse. And I think that's, that's some of the similarities, right, between uh, Denver and, and here in Indianapolis is that that church um, was not just diverse racially, but it was diverse um, you know, economically, mm -hmm. um, it was diverse, um, based off of the education levels of, of, of people who attended. And it, it really brings about an exposure, um, to different, different, uh, people's histories, different people's experiences that I think enriches, uh, what church is. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so one thing that you know I'm I'm kind of interested in as I talk to my family out in Western Nebraska, and as I as I learn more about um, specifically the Brown Church, you know I I think uh, people throughout this the saying that you know Sundays are the 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 most yeah. um, the <laughs> the most segregated mm -hmm. time of the week, uh, and and the reality is is there is. Uh, there are still predominantly uh, black churches, white churches, and mm -hmm. Latino churches. Mm -hmm. And so was that your experience like growing up in mm -hmm. in a brown church uh, that, that it was, um, you know, that it was intentionally brown or was it just, you know, that's just the, how people grouped up together and, and um, did you did you experience before Brookside mm -hmm. intent, like intentional diversity mm -hmm. in the church? Oh, we're going to get into some mud right now. <laughs> we'll see if we have time. <laughs> yeah. So my experience is that, um, so I'm going to tread lightly here, that when it comes to churches, that familiarity is always comforting, right? And so we will see um, that, you know, there is segregation on Sundays and that, I, I don't know if it's always intentional. I just know that um, it is true that, you know, the Brown Church was Brown Church. Um, when we moved out here, we, uh, or when we got married, we were in a Caucasian church. And then when we moved out here, we moved, um, it was hard to find any church that really had the DNA that we were looking for. Um, and so, with the churches that I've experienced that where they say they're intentional with diversity, I, I wouldn't agree with that definition of that they had. Um, and so it would be more like we're going to be diverse in who we're serving, but I did not see it in leadership. 
you know mm. or if it was leadership it was just up to this point mm. you know like or and it was a lot of because they agree with what I'm saying you know and so my husband and I we're not gonna agree just because you want us to agree that's just who we are and so it was always like really hard to fit in um, but yeah, I, I believe the leadership loved the people and they had a good heart, but their definition of intentional diversity was very different than what my husband and I were looking for. Um, because we believe that if you do want diversity, then it should be represented throughout the whole um, leadership all the way down because then it expresses a message of warmth, of welcoming, and not just this is how a Christian should look this image of what leadership is, you know. Um, so it's tricky, you know, because then there's the other part of mission work, right? Mm -hmm. We're international because we serve in a different country. That's great and dandy. But what about the people that are from that country that are here in your backyard? Are you serving them? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, that's, you know, well, there's so many issues there. That's telling me something, isn't it? That you're only willing to go out, but how welcoming are you to have them in? And so there's um, there's different definitions of diversity, of international, of whatever you title it. But for me, is if it's not something where you see the voices represented at the table of the decision making, that there's unity there, then how can you embrace the ethnicity of the people around you. Yeah, uh, well, and I, I think what you said right there about having the, the, the voices at the table, mm -hmm. but then also having the unity. Yes. That is so important because I don't know about you, but my experience has been um, at one point in my life, I actually got called a safe Mexican, right? <laughs> I, I was a safe Mexican because um, I, I didn't speak Spanish. I uh, didn't fit into the stereotypes of what they thought Mexican people were. Mm -hmm. um, but I was still in, in, in these individuals' minds able to be representative of uh, Mexicans everywhere. And so, yeah, yeah I, I could be welcome to the table um, so that they could show off their safe Mexican brother, mm -hmm. right? Um, but the, the question was always, do I have the equal voice mm -hmm. of anyone else at the table? Yeah. And and that that was an issue. And so there was this unity um, for, for a long time in my experiences. And it, it wasn't until I got to Brookside. And I, and I, I want to be honest about Brookside mm -hmm. um, because I think it'd be very easy to turn it into a love fest and yeah. put like Brookside <laughs> on this pedestal of like this church that has it all together but we don't um, and that's why we have to be transparent about it but you know I think one of the beautiful things about Brookside is that there is this constant wrestling yes. of are we truly giving everyone an equal voice and if and and and, and uh, pastor charles would call it these checks and balances mm -hmm. that we do with each other uh to make sure that that we are in line and we're unified with one another this is my first time experiencing that and um I think the beautiful thing, like if, if, if someone was, was listening or watching and they didn't know anything about Brookside, um, is that, you know, there is truly a diverse leadership team mm -hmm. that, that meets consistently, that is yes. for one another, that is family. 
Um, and so we, we, we have that structure at the top that you, that you talked about mm-hmm. where the challenge is going forward for us mm-hmm. is how do we as a church open ourselves and, and in t- be intentional, not just about diversity of leadership, but diversity of the entire yes. body, specifically when it comes to our Spanish-speaking neighbors, mm-hmm. because the reality is our community is changing. Yes, it is. There are a lot of, of Latinos who are moving into the community. There's a lot who've been here already. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I think, you know, part of our ownership needs to be, um, I don't know if we've intentionally up until the last year or so made inroads mm-hmm. with that community, um, but we, we need to be. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's pretty amazing, like the work that has gone on uh, in our Brookside Community Play Program, mm-hmm. which is our uh, child and youth development uh, initiative. You've been able to make some great inroads with Spanish speakers um, in that area. But again, for all transparency's sake, that hasn't necessarily translated over to church uh, attenders yet. And, you know, I think this is probably something that some churches are wrestling with out there that say, well, we want to engage in this specific community, Mm -hmm. but... You know, it, it's just not working. We we tried, and they're they're just not coming. So yeah. we did our best. So let's let's just call it a day. Um, from your perspective, as as Brookside is kind of navigating this road and really trying to be intentional about reaching out to these families, these Latino families, um, you know, that one we recognize have a lot to offer. Yes. And I will say this: our our church is not complete without them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because those families bring in a piece that we are missing and that we desperately need. Because mm-hmm. if we're going to be this picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like, we've got to have those right. people here too. But as we navigate that road, what are some of the barriers that you see for Brookside uh, that we are going to have to face? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what's some progress that you see that we, we still need to make? And be, be brutally honest. <laughs> All right. (laughs) So the reality is it's messy, period. It's not a um, one, two, three, and you've arrived. Um, Because I think the blessing in Brookside is that we are relational. So we have diversity in leadership, and we can be united, but we also have those um, conversations with one another when there is disagreement, and there's like honesty, and we want to hear from one another. And that brings us then to the unity. And so that would be something that is intentional as we're reaching out to the Latino community. It's just that trust is not just going to be given to you. There's so much that has been against and said um, against the Latino community that there's fear. There's, um, you know, people in closed doors. There's, you know, I cannot but share the story of when COVID happened. And we had a family that is part of the play family. And we heard that um, they had been going without food. And someone dropped off Gatorade at their home. She was a little uncomfortable about taking it. But that was Mm. the only thing that she had for herself and her children for about two weeks. Mm. Gatorade. Why? Because she didn't feel safe coming out and asking for help. She didn't know what the resources were. But she shared it with Brookside. Why? Because we had already started to say, we're going to take care of your child. We're going to help you with, you know, the education. We're going to help them learn English. We're going to just have fun. And because we were intentional with with not 
telling her what needs to happen but listening and then having a program that actually helps with that need that she has it opened the door then for for conversation and eventually relationship and then trust to say this is what i'm going through i'm going to trust you with this information um because i can see that you care and so i think those are some of the challenges it's just are you willing to put yourself out there are you willing to learn more about this person instead of what you had imagined their life is or why they're coming here you know um, just this week alone i've learned of another family whose husband was um kidnapped and held ransom you know um and so it gets dirty so the intentionality of putting yourself out there not assuming you know their story but actually willing to hear that story and then just getting real with people you know that, that's what it is bottom line so mm. yeah so so uh you would say the the language barrier is not the the roadblock that should deter a church no. from pursuing relationships. No, that's a good point. Um, when, you know, there's so much communicated without words, right? If you look at someone and you smile at them, I mean, a smile is universal. And so when you do that, you're already welcoming them. When you're allowing them to um, just be, come and be themselves without judgmental looks or already assuming they're here for something, it you're conveying that message just in who you are. But, you know, I would always point people back to the cross. If you understand, what Jesus Christ did on the cross and the love that he gave, he did and showed for you, then that love should overflow onto others. And that's the same thing with the Latino families, right? We love our family so much, even in all the messiness, but we, we want, we express that love all the time. So then when someone else comes, they just are getting splashed with that love, you know? <laughs> and so it's the same thing when you're reaching out to a community, when you understand the love that God has given you and you want to give it away, right? And so that body language, that look, the whole message then to that person is, hey, you know, I see God in you. I want to know about what God has done in you. You know, can I share, you know, that love with you? So it looks differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so even the language is, it is a, a, a challenge, but it's not the barrier. Mm -hmm. It's the heart. That's the barrier. Ah, I like that. It's the heart. That's the barrier. Yeah, so. absolutely. And, and as I said before, you know, Brookside is very new to this. We are maybe like two steps. Uh, on this road yeah. of engaging our Latino brothers and sisters. And we want to be transparent about that process. And I think that's why we need to come back to this conversation mm -hmm. in, in six months or a year and, and check in and, yeah. and, and see what steps and what progress we're actually making. Um, and so we'll, we'll definitely have you back for that. And I'm sure we'll have you back in, in the days to come as well because uh, we do want to get into uh, what Brookside is doing to mm -hmm. engage youth because not yeah. only is diversity, uh, you know, a racial thing or mm -hmm. an ethnic thing, it's also uh, an age thing. Yes, it is. And so <laughs> Play's doing some awesome things with the youth. And so we'll we'll talk about that in the days to come as well. Uh, but do you have any closing remarks for us? No. Uh, well, yes. <laughs> so basically it's just, you know, um, 
allow God to use you in loving others. Um, you know, get before Him and ask Him to show you how much He loves you. And out of that overflow, just start reaching out to people and just be that neighbor, be that person who looks at someone with value, um, be the listening ear, and just invite people to your world, is what I would say. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. Really, that that familian. Familia. Make, make them part of your family. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Broken Pieces podcast. Let's just continue to love our neighbors and to really live out this idea of familia. Yes. <laughs>